0: 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 1 to 8 Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them Elijah was afraid and ran for his life When he came to Beersheba in Judah he left a servant there while well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God.
1: So tonight we're beginning a new sermon series in our evening services where we're going to be looking at how we develop a rule of life. Now that might be a phrase that's familiar to some people here. It might be something that you have never heard of and it sounds really odd. But a rule of life is something that can help you to grow as a Christian or put another way to grow as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. A rule of life is like a a simple rhythm of Christian practices that can help you grow. Things like uh, Bible reading, prayer, maybe fasting, looking after yourself so that you can help others as well. Uh, Reading scripture, building relationships with people around you. Uh, The most helpful illustration that i found of what a rule of life is there for is to see it like a banister rail, okay? A a, a rail that you hold when we're going up and down stairs. It's there for you to hold on to to help you keep moving forward. But it's also there for you to hold on to when perhaps you're feeling a little unsteady and a little wobbly uh, when you're going up and down the stairs. A rule of life is like a whole load of practices that you can choose to incorporate into your Christian life to help you to keep moving forward, to help steady yourself, perhaps when uh, things are a bit tricky in life generally or in your Christian life. So we hope that as we look at some of these practices that you could put into like a rule of life those things will help you to grow as a Christian, to keep moving forward, to keep perhaps discovering more of what God has for you in his life and become more of the person that God has created you to be. So, we're going, tonight we're going to look at our first thing that is helpful in terms of helping us to move forward in our Christian life. And it's this we're going to look at how we care for our souls, how we care for our souls. The philosopher David Thoreau made this observation, that within society, a mass of people live lives of quiet desperation. A mass of people live lives of quiet desperation. And isn't that sad? Isn't that a sad thing to take on board? That was written years ago, but it's so true of our society today. I wonder if you relate to that quote either personally or perhaps in terms of people you know or the society that we live in. We see ourselves or people around us living lives of quiet desperation. And if you're a Christian here tonight, we're not exempt from this. We're not exempt from this at all. And many of us here today, I'm sure, will have at some point in our lives find ourselves, found ourselves in times of quiet desperation, stressed, even depressed, anxious. And yet at the same time, Jesus says that he has come to bring us life and life in all its fullness. This is what he has for us. He wants us to live life to the full. And that's why he entered the world. Jesus entered the world and taught incredible things about how we can live our lives and get the most out of life in the way it was designed for us to do so. He did incredible miracles, restoring life to people who were broken in so many different ways. Jesus died on a cross for our freedom so that we might have life to the full. Jesus rose from the dead, not just so that we could have life to the full now, but enjoy eternal life with him as well. Life is what Jesus is all about. And yet so often... We might be thinking, actually, you know, even if I'm a Christian, am I living this fullness of life? Or does it feel a bit more like I'm just trying to survive? I'm trying to walk this path, and sometimes it's really stressful, or sometimes it feels like I'm overwhelmed by what's going on in my life. And also, at the same time, uh, we're called as Christians to serve other people and to share the love of Jesus with everybody that we meet. We're called to care for people's souls, to care so much about people that we want their lives to be transformed as well. We want their souls to be transformed. And yet we can find ourselves, even as Christians, ministering from this empty pot. So if we want to be caring for other people's souls... We need to be caring for our own souls as well. And that's why soul care, caring for your own soul, is so important to a Christian life. That's why it's the first thing we're going to put in our rule of life, a Christian practice that we can incorporate into our daily rhythm of life as a Christian. And there are so many people in the Bible uh, that have faced this sort of struggle in life. We could have chosen so many different characters. But we're going to focus a little bit on the, the person of Elijah that we heard about in our reading that Patrick read to us. He's somebody who wanted to live his life full out for God. And he did so much, but often he found out that life could be really tough. Elijah is an incredible man of God. If you don't really know the story of Elijah, please do read his story in 1 Kings. It's an incredible story, and it'll teach you a huge amount about somebody uh, following God and what that actually looks like. So Elijah is a great man of God, but he's also very much a human. Uh, He's a human who suffers sometimes with incredible despondency and discouragement and depression. And by the time we we meet him in the passage that we heard today from 1 Kings chapter 19, he has been fighting for God for years. He's had some incredible adventures, some high times and some incredible low times. And by the time we meet him, he and God have just had this incredible victory uh, over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Fire has come down, burnt burnt up this sacrifice. Um, The prophets of Baal Baal, uh, all were killed. And he's had this incredible victory where God has very much been victorious. But actually, we find Elijah here at the beginning of chapter 19 completely at the end of himself. He is mentally, physically and spiritually wrecked. I remember a few years ago in my previous role before I came here, uh, things in my ministry that I was involved in were were great in many ways. Uh, Young people were becoming Christians and growing as disciples of Jesus. But there was an ongoing situation uh, with a member of my team that was extremely demanding and wearing, and it had been going on for some months. And it took a huge amount of emotional and physical and spiritual energy. And after about three months of dealing uh, with this person and this situation, day in, day out, night in, night out often at times, I was just completely at the end of myself. Things should have been brilliant because things were going really well in lots of ways, but I was absolutely exhausted. And, and I didn't feel like there was an end to this situation or a way out either. And I've never felt so near to being at the edge of completely collapsing in a heap. And eventually everything came to a rather dramatic but immediate ending and the situation was resolved. But as I look back at that time in my life... There are two things that I'm hugely grateful for. Firstly, that I wasn't on my own. I had some incredibly wise people around me, supporting me and advising me in in a really difficult situation. When I found it it was difficult to pray, uh, I knew that they were there praying for me. And I knew that God was with me in it all as well. I wasn't on my own. And secondly, I also look back, and I'm hugely grateful uh, for the folk that knew, the few folk that knew about the situation that I was going through and just brought me little things like a box of Maltesers at the end of a really difficult day, or the odd bottle of Prosecco here and there, Um, or the friend who, when things really came to a head, and I actually had to... Uh, escape from the situation uh, for a day uh, because I was in danger. And she took me into her house and she laid me on her sofa and she was like, do not move from that sofa all day. And if you know me, I don't obey instructions very well. Uh, Do not move from that sofa all day. She put a blanket over me. She brought me cups of tea. She brought me food. She prayed with me all day because she knew that actually what I needed that day was rest and food and cups of tea. And that's what I knew needed. And I was incredibly grateful. Those people, those wise people, and that physical help made such a difference to me during that time. Back to Elijah. When Jezebel, who was the king's wife at the time, she's a real baddie, she's quite an incredible woman, it's worth finding out a bit more about if you don't. Uh, when she hears uh, what has happened with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and how they've been killed, she is so livid with Elijah that she sends a messenger to Elijah uh, with this message. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. She could have just said, basically, I'm going to kill you. Watch out, I'm after you. But she didn't. She said it a bit grander than that. So now remember that Elijah has just witnessed God's dramatic power and victory over the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. In some ways, we could think you know, hey Elijah, get the big picture here. You've got God on your side. You should know this. You should be feeling strong and courageous as a follower of God because you have just witnessed him doing something completely incredible. And actually, this is only Jezebel throwing a toys out at the pram because her prophets have just been being killed. You know, get it all back in perspective. But do you and I, do you and I ever have experiences like that? You're so tired. You're so drained, you're so worn out, you're so emotionally exhausted that you just can't see the wood for the trees. And this is exactly what Elijah does in this situation. So what does he do? We read that he runs. He runs as far away as he can. He actually runs to the furthest most point in the kingdom. He's had enough. And when he gets there, he does two things. The first thing he does is that he leaves his servant and goes off by himself into the desert. And then the second thing he does is, when he's in the desert, he finds himself a nice bush, and uh, he sits under it, and he tells God how he's feeling. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors'. And then he falls asleep. So let's step back and take a look at what is going on here. Firstly, he leaves his servant and goes off by himself. Probably not the cleverest thing to do uh, when he's in a complete state of desperation. He separates himself from his servant, the person who's been through it with him, the person who supported him. The person who's been there through it all. Elijah is exhausted, despondent, and depressed. And he separates himself from his trusted friend. Isn't that what we do sometimes? We find ourselves in difficult places, and we push people away. Yes, we need to be alone sometimes. Yes, we're tired Yes, we just can't be bothered with anybody else, but actually when we're in those sorts of dark places, the one thing we often actually need are people around us, people who love us and can encourage us, people who can support us, people who could pray for us, people who could speak God's wisdom into our lives, people who could help us. In 2015, uh, a unicyclist got knocked over by a London bus in Walthamstow. And this picture is the moment when 100 people rushed from the streets, the businesses, the shops, the offices, all around uh, that crossroads in Walthamstow. And together, they worked to pick up the bus in order to get the seriously injured unicyclist out from underneath the wheel of the bus. And they succeeded. And he survived. If you're trapped under a bus, of course you want people to come and rescue you from under that bus. If you're in hospital, you need the care of doctors and nurses. So why, when we're down and anxious, exhausted, do we think that we can do it all on our own, which we often do? And so Elijah in his state of desperation, lies alone underneath this bush. He is completely at the end of himself. Maybe you felt like Elijah at some point. Perhaps you're feeling like Elijah right now in your life. Perhaps you're feeling afraid or alone or exhausted. Maybe you're burnt out. Maybe you just feel a bit hopeless. If so, listen carefully to what happens to Elijah. You see, God arrives on the scene Not to tell him to pull himself together and get himself sorted out, or to have faith and courage and it'll be fine. The thing God does is provide for Elijah's physical needs. Did you notice in the reading, the angel, God sends his angel, the angel of the Lord, uh, and what he does, he comes to speak to Elijah. And twice we read that the angel comes and touches Elijah, And he speaks to him with gentleness. There's that physical connection there, isn't there? It's reminding Elijah that in his loneliness, in his absolute desperation, he's not alone. Sometimes in our darkest places, we need to remember that God is closer than we think. He knows us and he cares for us. And secondly, we have an incredible example of God knowing exactly what Elijah needs in this moment, because God provides Elijah with food and with drink. He caters a lovely meal of fresh bread for Elijah and some cool water for him to drink. And after he's eaten and drunk, Elijah rests, because God knows that actually what Elijah needs at the moment is rest and sleep and then the angel of the Lord comes again and and touches Elijah again and wakes him and has more food and more water for him and he takes it and he eats it and then he rests again in this moment of absolute desperation and despondency God provides first and foremost for Elijah's physical needs this is so much an important part of caring for our souls And then Elijah's able to get up and continue to do the work that God has called him to do. I'm going to invite Kathy up now. Kathy Richards, she's a member of our church. She happens to be married to Dave, but she's a person in her own right. Uh, And and as well as being a person in her own right, she also happens to be, I've got number two here. Um, I'm hoping that'll come on. Kathy's also a consultant clinical psychologist. And I'm just getting my beautiful assistant to bring up this for us, thank you. That's so, uh, Kathy is just going to come and share from her own experience, her own professional experience as well, uh, about her um, thoughts on how we deal with stress and anxiety. And she's just going to share some ideas with us about how people tend to react to stress, anxiety, the sorts of things we've been thinking about tonight in their life. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks,
2: Libby. Um, so, Libby asked me to say something about what happens when we get stressed. I don't know if we can see this, hopefully it'll come up on the screen, anyway we heard a bit from the passage that when Elijah had had something really exciting happen, he had been in this battle and good things had happened. Um, But following that, he feels absolutely exhausted and runs away. And that can happen to us when lots of things are going on in our lives. Those can be good things or those can be sad things, but they're things that require a bit of change from us that can trigger within us a physical reaction and the flight and fight reaction gets turned on, which most of us are pretty familiar with. And that affects us physically. Um, So If you're, um, you might find that you get dead tense, that your your shoulders and your back starts to get really achy, or you might find you get headaches or sore tummies. I work with children and they talk about getting wobbly knees and butterflies in their tummies. Um, We might find that our thoughts start to get a bit more negative, a bit more bleak. Elijah goes, you just let me die. I've had enough. That's it. And I think sometimes we might feel a wee bit like that, or we might be thinking, I just can't do it. I can't go into that situation. If I do that, people are going to laugh at me. They're going to think I'm stupid. And our thoughts become a bit negative, and they pull us away, as Libby was saying, from people. When we're thinking like that, if we're having all of those thoughts, I can't do it, I want to die, or things are going to go badly, then we're likely to start feeling pretty grotty, either kind of shaky and anxious or low and flat. And when we feel like that, we start to do things differently. Um, We might start to stop doing things that normally bring us into contact with people. We might start to do things um, to try to distract us um, from feeling bad. We might shut ourselves off from people. We might find that we're drinking more or doing things, partying more to try to distract ourselves. Um, We might do other things which we know aren't really healthy habits in the long term. And it also begins to affect our relationships. As Libby says, many of us at those times when we're feeling kind of stressed and flat might pull away from the very people that normally um, would be the people that would support us. Or we might find that we start to feel a bit more grumpy. It's possible my family might reflect and say, when I feel stressed and anxious, that actually I become a little bit more grumpy and maybe a little quicker to blame them, maybe a little crosser when I'm driving the car and start to take it out on the traffic lights. Um, Those kinds of things we can notice and notice that they begin to happen and these things don't happen in isolation so if we start to feel more stressed we might start to feel worried that we're getting sick and that might make us feel even more physically stressed our thoughts might get even more bleak and that'll affect our behavior so it kind of goes around in this nasty spiral and turns up the volume on the
1: stress so if we feel like we're in these situations what can we do um, in any of those points on the cycle
2: Okay, in a couple of moments. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what we want to do is to turn that volume down, um, and I guess the key thing is to know how we typically react. So we're all different. So when I'm stressed, um, I do get physically tense, um, but also I get more headaches. My, I get more clumsy. I can't park the car. These are clear indicators for me that something's going on. Um, my thoughts tend to be more grumpy. I tend to be blame, more blaming of other people. Um, And I just feel basically a lot more irritable. And um, I withdraw with my Kindle and don't want to talk to anybody. And my relationships suffer consequently. Knowing that, I can spot when those things are happening and start to do something different about it. So each of us will have um, a kind of normal way of reacting physically, a normal way of our thinking pattern going, a normal way about feelings and behavior, as will those people most close to us. And it's dead helpful to know how they react too, so that you can anticipate that and that you can help them and stand alongside them in those times. And if we do know those things, we can take, make some choices about what we do. So you were talking about looking after our bodies physically. For many of us, exercise is probably a really helpful thing to do. Um, eating healthily, um, eating... Some of us will lose our appetites when we're stressed and stop, and that could make us quite poorly... Catch ourselves what we're thinking. If we find ourselves kind of blaming everybody, you know, really it's not the traffic light's fault if they go red and I'm, I'm on my way to work. That is quite illogical. If we can catch ourselves thinking like that, we can do something about it. Mm. But I guess the thing that we really know from all the research about stress and the kind of things that protect people is the importance of relationships. And God, mm. you know, all this is saying is the stuff we know from Genesis onwards. Mm. It's God made us for a relationship mm. and actually putting ourselves with people that will support us. If we can't pray, then asking people to pray for us. There's been plenty of times in my life when sad things have happened and I haven't found it at all easy to talk to God, but I have had friends that I've been able to ask to pray for me and I know they've prayed faithfully. Whilst I've been pretty rubbish at it, they've gone and done it and that's made all the difference. Put ourselves into situations in church where we can meet with people, where we can talk to people, um, where God can talk to us, um, and let other people in, and stand with other people.
1: So I think you've already started touching on this, Kathy. but I was going to ask you as well, that as well as being a clinical psychologist, you're obviously a Christian, and so is there anything else, apart from the things you've just said about um, prayer particularly, um, that being a Christian and having a faith in Jesus can make a difference to if we're feeling stressed or anxious or in a bad place?
2: Yes, <laughs> um, I think. Um, I mean, I think it's really important that we do keep coming to coming to church, joint being in our small groups, serving. Um, again, one of the things we know that builds resilience is that outward approach. When we're looking outwards and thinking about other people, when we're feeling stress. Many of us tend to get very kind of self-preoccupied and can ruminate a bit and sort of it's all inside. Whereas actually if we're thinking about the other and thinking about what we can do to support our friends or what we can do at babies and toddlers or what we can do in the children's groups in the morning or in the in the youth in the afternoon, then then that focus that becomes quite destructive whilst it's inside gets transferred and changed and we start to focus on other people that fellowship that relationship i think is really really helpful serving i think is something we're called to do um worship and spending time with god asking other people to pray the prayer ministry i think can be really helpful talking things through with people taking more time to do that
1: brilliant thanks kathy ever so much so um I think that's been really helpful, getting that practical wisdom in. So the first thing that we're going to almost put in our rule of life is this soul care, actually looking after your being your mind, your body, your spirit, so that you can function better as a person, so that you can enjoy life in all its fullness. It doesn't mean it's always going to be a breeze at all, but I think some of the things that Kathy just shared with us, those little practical things that we can put in our lives, uh, can help us care for our souls, so we can be living life to the full, so that we can be um, sharing our faith with those around us, so that we can be worshipping God with all of ourselves. Remember, looking after your physical self is important, diet, exercise, those sorts of things, relationship that Kathy spoke about, but also uh, keeping that focus on God and, and on prayer as well.